more than brick, more than mortar, living stones being fit together, the people of God living in unity on mission with Jesus to impact our world with the hope of the gospel. You see, it's more than a building. It's you, it's me. Be the church. So good to see all of you who are here with me in the room. Also want to welcome those who are watching online. We pray that this service is one in which the Holy Spirit is really speaking to you because I do believe that he has a message for the church to help us be the church that God wants us to be. And you might be watching online from a different part of the world, but God has called you to be a part of his family, his church, and it's important that we know what the church is called to. The father of English literature, Chaucer, said something along the lines, I paraphrase, a noble man is known by noble deeds. That became the thought later on expressed as, handsome is as handsome does. You probably heard it, pretty is as pretty does. And of course, you come on down, and this is getting super spiritual now, come on down to Forrest Gump. And Forrest says, stupid is as stupid does. In other words, don't judge me by what you think about me just upon first impressions. Look at what I do. What we do is very important. That would also tie in with Jesus. Jesus basically tells us in some of his teachings, a disciple is as a disciple does. He doesn't use those words, but he says things like, you're my friends if you obey my commandments. He says, blessed is the one who hears my word and puts it into practice. In other words, as we emphasize being the church, if we want to be the church, we have to do what the church does. The church is as the church does. So what are we supposed to do? There are a lot of different options. This Bible is a pretty thick book. So what are we to do? And I think we can get a big hint from Jesus' last words on earth to his disciples. Those last words are so important, aren't they? Rick Warren tells a story about the night before his father died of cancer that he uh, became agitated. The father became agitated there on his deathbed in the hospital and he began to try to get out of the bed, and, and, and his wife was saying, no, no, you can't, you know, you're, you're too sick, you can't get out of bed. And the, the dad of Rick Warren just kept saying, I have to reach one more for Jesus, I have to get one more for Jesus. And he just kept saying that, and Rick Warren says that he was sitting by his dad's bed and bowed his head, and tears were flowing, and he was thanking God for the legacy of saving souls. And when he bowed his head, his dad reached out with his frail hand and said, reach one more for Jesus, reach one more for Jesus. And Rick said, I took that as something of a sacred commissioning from God, and I knew what I was to devote the rest of my life to, reaching one more for Jesus. And that ties in with the last words of Jesus to us. And we find those last words in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Those last words of Jesus contain two very powerful statements. The first is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he wraps up by saying, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Sandwiched in between those two powerful statements is a passage of scripture that we know as the great commission, a commandment from Jesus, his last commandment given to his disciples here on earth. And we want to pay attention to it. We want to receive this as a commission for our lives. And those words are this. Let's look at them again. Matthew 28, verse 19, and the first part of verse 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And we'll just put the verse 19 back up here. Would you do that? You see four parts of these, this commandment, of this commission. Number one is go. Number two, make disciples. Number three, baptizing. And then on the next slide, verse 20, teaching. Go, make disciples, baptizing, and teaching them. In the original Greek, do you know how many commands are there out of those four verbs? One. One command. What is the one word, the one verb that is a command? You might think go, because that's written as a command, and that's the first word we see in the English translation, but that's not really the command. That is a participle, going. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The original command, the only command here in this passage is make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, after his death and his resurrection, Jesus said to his disciples, and he's saying to us, he's putting his hands on our heads and saying, make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. Disciple all nations. Earlier on in Jesus' earthly ministry, in Matthew 10, we read where he sent his disciples out, and he said, go only to the Jewish people. He specifically told them, do not go to the Gentiles, which we translate the word nations as Gentiles. Do not go to the Gentiles. Do not go to the nations, we might say. Do not go to the Samaritans. Don't go to them. Go only to the Jewish people. But now in this great commission, in Jesus' last words, he's saying now's the time. Now is the time to go to the Gentiles. You couldn't do that during my earthly ministry, but now that I am leaving, here is what I want you to do. Make disciples of all nations. Disciple them. It's kind of strange. Jesus doesn't say, go tell them about me. He doesn't say, go lead them to pray a prayer to receive me as their Lord and Savior. We, those things are good. We do those things all the time. I'll give you a chance to do just that at the end of this message. But Jesus didn't say, do that. Those are good things. But we need to pay a special attention 
to what Jesus did say, and he said, make disciples. And he gives us two ways, the two other verbs in this passage. The, the ways that we're to make disciples is baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Baptizing and teaching. See, bapti- baptism is so important. And, and we, we understand that baptism is important because Jesus tells us to be baptized. The book of Acts shows that when people received Christ, they were immediately baptized. And we understand baptism as a sign of our identifying with Christ. We're buried with Christ in baptism. We, we are buried with Christ in baptism in, in such a way that our old self is dead and buried with Christ, and then we're raised up to new life in Jesus Christ, just as Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's very powerful, and it's very personal. And if you've given your life to Jesus Christ and have not yet been baptized, I encourage you to do so. It's such an important part of what the scriptures would lead us to do in response to Jesus. It's very personal, and it will, baptism will help you to grow spiritually, I promise you. It's not just an empty ritual. But while it's personal, it's not an individual matter. It's very personal, but it's not about you as an individual. It is about the family of God. Baptism is a ritual, and I know sometimes in our charismatic slash Pentecostal circles, we don't want to talk about rituals because we think they're empty and dead, but it is a ritual that denotes entry into the family of God. That's why it's such a a marker of a changed life because we've gone from not being a part of the family of God to being a member of God's family, to becoming his children. And we're children together in the family of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says baptize them, he's, he's not just saying, you know, get them wet. He's not just saying drive through the city with a fire hose and wet everybody down, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying initiate them into the family of God. Yes, they identify with my death and my resurrection. But as they do, they're brought into the family of God. This is a family activity. Making disciples is something that belongs to the family of God. And making disciples means we bring them in to the family of God. Now, does that mean you can't lead somebody, you know, out in the marketplace, somebody that you meet in your everyday life to the Lord? Does that mean that if you meet somebody in the airport in a foreign city that you can't lead them to the Lord? No, we should be aware of the fact that discipling means getting them connected to the family of God. That's very important. But I hope that everybody is leading people to Christ anywhere that you go that you are very comfortable with sharing your testimony and sharing what Christ has done for you and who Christ is to you and how if they can receive Christ, they can have the same hope that you have. That's why Peter says, always be ready to share the hope that we have. I hope that we can all do that. You know, I once heard somebody say, you know, if I can't personally disciple them, I'm not going to lead them to Jesus. Oh my, that's nuts. Jesus isn't saying personally disciple everybody that you lead to the Lord. It's a family affair. It's something that we all do together. 
You know, can you imagine somebody who's like, man, you're really different. What's going on? Why are you so happy? Why do you have this hope? Oh, I can't tell you because uh, I'm going back to Philly tomorrow and can't disciple you, so you're out of luck. No, no. So nothing I'm saying is intended to diminish the importance of your personal witness anywhere that you go. So important. But we need to be aware that our goal is not just to get somebody to make a decision and put another notch in our gospel belt. But, you know, it is really in order to introduce them to the family of God. And that should be a priority for us. Baptizing them speaks to that family connection. So we make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. That means we introduce the triune God. We introduce not just a God or any God, but we introduce them to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's the Christian God. That's the one God whom we serve. We introduce them to him and to his family. That's why Jesus taught us to pray our Father, not just my Father, but our Father. We make disciples by introducing them to the family of God. And what else? Teaching. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Is there anybody here who remembers everything Jesus taught? You just remember it perfectly. I don't. I'm sure none of us do. So where do we start? How do we do this? Well, I think last week when my wife preached and she shared with us what is recently called the Jesus Creed, which is the Shema plus what Jesus said, then we understand the full summary of all of Jesus' teachings. What am I talking about? Well, since we're looking at Matthew 28, let's look at Matthew's version of the Jesus Creed. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then here's what I'm saying about the summary. This is, this is how it all adds up together to include everything that Jesus teaches. For all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets which point to Jesus and all of Jesus' teaching can be summarized in loving God with everything that you are and loving your neighbor as yourself. So we can at least be sure that when we teach people to be disciples of Jesus, to follow Jesus, that we teach them the way of love. Amen? Loving God. Loving God. Loving Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and loving their neighbors as themselves. Can, can I just suggest that there might be another clue as to what Jesus is talking about when he says, teach them everything that I've commanded you. It's kind of hinted at, at the location where Jesus has met his disciples before he ascends into heaven and where he gives them this great commission. Where are they meeting? Well, Matthew tells us they're meeting on the mountain where Jesus told them to go. They're meeting on the mountain in Galilee, where Jesus told them to go. What mountain? A lot of scholars believe, and I think this makes perfect sense, 
that the mountain where Jesus met them in Galilee, where he would give them this commission and tell them, teach them everything that I have commanded you, is the same mountain where Jesus, earlier in Matthew, preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And and can you just imagine? They're standing in this place with the risen Savior, the risen Lord, the one who's worthy of worship. He's giving them his last words before he sends into heaven, and he says, teach them everything. Do you imagine that that location would say, wow, we remember that sermon. We remember that message. And we know that they remembered it because Matthew wrote it down. We have it here. In other words, I, I think that when it comes down to teaching everything that Jesus commanded, yeah, there's a lot there, but it all wraps up in living a life of love toward God and love toward our neighbors and being devoted to a Sermon on the Mount lifestyle. Amen? You know, turn the other cheek, go the second mile, all the things that Jesus taught. Love God genuinely, not just a matter of empty ritual. All those things, teaching God. We need to teach others to do what Jesus taught us to do. You know, being the church is wonderful, and we should be who we are as disciples of Jesus Christ apart from our works because through faith we become disciples of Jesus. But disciples are as disciples do. The church is as the church does. And we are devoted to living the life of love that we read about in the Jesus Creed and the kind of morality and, yeah, moral values, biblical moral values that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Sermon on the Mount is about a lifestyle, isn't it? It's not about a body of knowledge that we memorize and we take a test on how well we know it. And if you pass the test, you're a disciple. Classroom approach to discipleship. No. We don't master the Sermon on the Mount by just knowing it in our heads. We master it by living it out with each other. We make disciples by baptizing them, introducing them to the family of God, and that's a family that lives by the commandments of God. Loving each other, doing good to all, especially those of the household of faith, and living a Sermon on the Mount lifestyle. All right, let's do it. You ready to go? Woo, we're ready. Uh, Where do we go? Where does all this take place? Well, let's go back to that first word in uh, the English language, the first command that we see, go. Therefore, go. Hopefully, you're not too bored if I give you just a little bit of a Greek lesson, all right? We're not going to use any Greek language or anything. Just talk about the, the verb form here. Uh, in the Greek, it's not a command. It is literally going. Going, disciple the nations. Going. All right? So, what does that mean? Two possibilities. And I think both possibilities apply. I don't believe this is either or. I, I believe that the Holy Spirit inspired this to be written in the Greek the way that it is written, and the dual understanding applies. One way of interpreting that is just the way we have it in the English Bible, go. Therefore, go. 
the, the part of, this is legitimate interpretation or, or translation of Greek. The participle going borrows its command force from the command, make disciples. So go make disciples is legitimate. Go. What does that mean? It means go. Don't just sit there, go. Why are you still sitting there? No, go. It's about going, going to the nations. We are supposed to go. If it pops into your head, oh, maybe I ought to go visit so-and-so. Oh, maybe I ought to pray for my neighbor. Maybe I ought to, you know, take a gift to the new people who just moved down the street. Maybe those things pop in your head, and then you think, oh, I don't know, is that you, God, or is that just me? Anybody go through those kinds of thoughts, you know, when those things pop in your head, something to do? Well, if you want me to go, give me a sign. Don't wait for a sign. Jesus already said go. 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 Do what God has called us to do. Reach out to connect with people through the love of Jesus Christ, And, you know, we're not going to do it all at one time necessarily, but introduce them to the family of God, introduce them to the love of God, the lifestyle of God, the the commands of God by living those things out in front of them. I I think God wants us to go. And And that's not just going to your neighbors. You know, there's an understanding. The church has responsibility to go to all the nations on earth. And we're committed to supporting missionaries, missions, all over the world. And, you know, I know a lot of times it's easy to say as Americans, well, we got enough needs here. America is one of the largest missions fields in the world in terms of population, just sheer numbers who do not know Jesus. So it's a huge mission field. But there are parts of the world where people just never get an opportunity to hear the word of God, to hear the name of Jesus. And we want to send missions. We want the gospel to be preached in all nations. We want to be a part of that. It's part of going. If we can't go ourselves, we help other people go. So going, the command to go is very, very important to hear and obey. And that verb here does borrow that command force from make disciples. Go make disciples. But I said there's a second way of interpreting that. And I think this is really important for your mission, right where you are. One way of looking at that is that it maintains its participular, is that a word? Uh, It's participle force. In other words, going make disciples. Or as I was taught in seminary, as you go, make disciples. Therefore, going, disciple all nations. Therefore, as you go, make disciples of the Gentiles. Make disciples of people who are outside the Jewish people. Make disciples. As you go, going. As you go about your daily business. As you go about your work. As you go to the grocery store. As you go to your school. As you go. Going, make disciples. Wherever you are, Make disciples. Wherever you are, you are commissioned by the authority of Jesus Christ, by the power of Jesus' presence in your life to make disciples. You are called to make that kind of a difference. In other words, if we're going to reach the world with the gospel, we have to be responsible for our part of the world. 
You have a unique sphere of influence that nobody else has. You and your spouse, your spheres of influence might be very similar, but they're not exactly the same. There's nobody that has the exact same sphere of influence that you do. And so reaching the world includes your reaching your world. And man, we have an opportunity right here in this region to reach the nations. We're like a melting pot in the greater Philadelphia area. That's why one of the things I love about Victory Church is the multinational nature of our church. I love it. And it's a way of reaching our mission field. And, you know, Lisa and I, when we came here in 1992, our goal was to be missionaries. We were going to serve here maybe five years, pay off student loans, and then we were going to the foreign mission field. Lisa actually has a master's degree. She has a master of divinity and a master of arts in missiology. She studied missions. I took a lot of extra coursework beyond my master's degree to focus on missions because we were going to be missionaries. And then the longer we stayed here, the more it felt like God was saying, this is your mission field. This is your mission field. We know God called us here, but he hasn't called us to leave. This is the mission field. And it's not only mine and Lisa's mission field, it's your mission field. You might be here from another part of the United States, another part of the world, but you're here because God has called you here to this mission field. And that's one of the reasons when we teach about impacting your world, reaching your world for Christ, our old formulation of our mission statement said that Victory Church is called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We didn't say the world, we said their world, your world. Because when you say, oh, our responsibility is to reach all the nations, our responsibility is to reach the world, the whole world, well, that's got to be somebody else's job because it's too big for me. It's too big for any of you, right? But each one of us can reach our own world, the world where God has placed you. It's not that we're concerned only about our own little world. But we're responsible. We're responsible for our sphere of influence. Reach your world every day. And as we've seen, making disciples is not just a matter of you know, praying a prayer and then walking away from them. It's a matter of introducing them to the family of God, baptizing and teaching them. That is a team effort. I hear people say, well, it's not really evangelism if all you're doing is trying to get people to invite the friends and the family to church, and then they get saved there. That's not real evangelism. Baloney! That's real evangelism. When they get saved, Jesus isn't going to say, uh, well, who, who actually led you to receive me? Was it the, the pastor or somebody else, or was it your friend? And if it wasn't your friend, it doesn't count. Of course not. This is a team effort, and that's why I think it's so important that we understand when, when we are trying to foster a culture of invitation at Victory Church, we understand that's evangelism. You know, somebody plants a seed, somebody else waters. God gives the increase. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And so when you invite friends and family to church, guess what happens to a huge percentage of non-Christians who come to Victory Church? They become members of the family of God through their faith in Jesus. 
It's a team effort. I love what I see Moses doing, bringing, you know, a dozen people from his workplace to watch another workplace convert who came to Christ at our church through Moses' invitation and uh, gave his life to Christ and then, then invited the whole work crew, just about it seemed like, to come and witness the baptism and hear a message. And we're just believing for more of that. And so what are we inviting people? people to. We invite people to come worship with us. That's a legitimate way of introducing people to the love and the family of God and the message of salvation. We invite people to serve with us. When we have a big day of service, one of our big pushes is, you know, invite people who don't know Jesus to come serve with us because Jesus said that when they see our good deeds, they'd glorify our Father in heaven. But they can't see those good deeds unless we invite them. That's a part of introducing people to the good news of Jesus. And one thing that we don't emphasize very often, but is a very legitimate way of introducing people to the family of God and ultimately to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is to invite people to your life groups. And we're in a life group fill time right now. Life groups are starting up at the end of this month. And this is a semester basis, so, you know, if you're hearing this message at a different time, then, you know, there are going to be other opportunities to sign up. But right now we're signing up for life groups. And if you know of somebody who would benefit from the topic of your life group, the focus of your life group, invite them to come, whether they attend church here or whether they know Jesus yet or not. It's a great way. It's a great way, especially if you're doing it with them. This semester, I'm especially excited because we have Alpha which is a small group introduction to the gospel, to the good news. It's a basic course in Christianity. It was started by a church in England. It has gone all over the world. Millions of people have come to Christ through Alpha. And Alpha, Alpha is just so non-confrontational, but lays out the basics of who God is, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what salvation is about, what life in the Spirit is about, what you know, benefits are available to us as followers of Jesus Christ in terms of his healing power. Those things are in Alpha, and it's just so well done. And so that's Wednesday night, life group number nine this semester. Life group number nine, Wednesday nights, come. You might say, well, oh, I don't need Alpha. I don't need a basic introduction to Christianity. I've been serving Jesus for 25 years. Folks, I've got a doctorate. I've been through Alpha several times. I get something out of it every single time. It is a blessing. You'll love just, you know, getting more familiar with being able to lay out the basics of our faith in a very understandable way. Some of us don't know how to do that. Alpha can help you to do that. Plus, when you invite your friends and family who don't know Jesus, man, there's a perfect environment that's been proved over and over and over to be very effective in helping people to come to know Jesus. So I, I want to give a big push for Alpha, a big shout-out for Alpha and to Moses and his team for leading that. And when I say Moses, I'm not talking about Moses in the Old Testament, but Moses who attends here at Victory Church right now. Oh, so that's the commission. Make disciples, baptizing and teaching. Baptizing and teaching. And so these are opportunities as you invite people into those, those, those environments that belong to the family of God, man, you're on the path to helping make disciples. It's a team effort. 
And, and here's the great thing. I, I mentioned the powerful statements before and after the Great Commission. Number one, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. You know what Jesus is saying? I have all authority, and you're going in my authority. When you go into the workplace when you go into your schools, when you go into your classroom, when you go into the neighborhood, when you go into the grocery store, when you go into the barber shop, guess what? You have the authority of Jesus with you. How do I know that? Because Jesus gave his authority as the basis for your being a part of making disciples. You have that authority. You have the authority to make this world a different place, a better place. And it's not just through political activism and all those things, which can be very good when done appropriately with the right understanding. But let me tell you, you have authority to change the world by being part of making disciples. And don't discount that. Don't discount that. And not only that, you have his authority with you and in you because Jesus said at the end of this and Behold, I am with you always. He is with you. Surely I am with you always. And, you know, can I just say that, can I give another little Greek lesson? The Greek doesn't say always, even to the end of the age. The Greek says all the days. All the days. Why, why doesn't it say always? Well, you know, like the world Reach the world? Oh, that's so big. Always? Oh, that's so eternal. I can't comprehend it. But all the days, literally all the days, every day, when you get up tomorrow, guess what? Jesus is with you. He is with you all the days, every day. There's not a day. There's not a dark day. There's not a bad day. There's not a terrible day where Jesus has abandoned you. He is with you always even to the end of the age. That's his commission. He's in your daily world, and he's empowered you, authorized you to make a difference by being a part of making disciples. Would you do that? Maybe you're not yet a disciple of Jesus Christ. This passage started out, Matthew 28, 17, they got to the mountain, and when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. They worshiped him. He is the risen Savior. Death could not hold him. He is the God of all power. He's the God who has all authority. He is the God who defeated death, and he's worthy of our worship. Jesus is God. That's why we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy that we would submit our lives to him and his will and his plan. And his plan for you is good. Maybe we've messed up. Maybe we've messed up relationships. Maybe we've messed up our part of the world. And it just seems like, man, everywhere I go, I, I, I just cause trouble. Things don't go right for me. Jesus wants to be with you and in you and have you operate in his authority under his commandments of love that your world and the world around you will never be the same again. Will you worship him? Some doubt it, but some worship. Will you be one who worships him, who worships Jesus? 
If you would like to give your life to Christ, just pray this prayer with me. I'm asking everybody in the room to pray this with me, but make it your prayer from your heart. Say these words, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I believe Jesus died. He was raised from the dead. And he is Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. Fill me with your presence. Give me your authority. Fill me with your love. And help me live for you. I want to be your disciple. Thank you for receiving me into your family. I'm your child, God. And you'll never leave me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just praise God for the decisions that are made? Amen. Hallelujah. If you're watching online, please stay with us. Somebody's going to come and share with you some very important next steps because discipleship's more than just a prayer. It's a way of life, and we want to help you to walk in that way of life. Thanks for being with us.